Thank you so much. Thank you, Josh. What an inspiring song service this morning. What a blessing that was to us, and I hope for you as well. I have to tell you something. You may not like it, but the Big Bang is real. It's not a theory. It's a fact. On one particular day in the history of the cosmos, a new genesis burst forth And we saw existence, a new existence, rise upon the horizon. Well, I have to tell you, as I said that this morning, um, uh, Nancy Martin was right over here holding Kurt Martin back. (laughs) Kurt Martin was ready to rush the stage, ready to come up and grab me. But she held him back. But what I want you to know is the Big Bang that I'm talking about this morning wasn't some unplanned event sparked by some random force of nature out there in the greater cosmos. But the Big Bang that I'm talking about this morning was planned and it was purposed by God. It was God who brought this into existence. And this morning as I talk about the Big Bang, I'm talking about a plan and the purposefulness of God that was as planned and as purposeful as the genesis that God brought life and order into existence from the very beginning. When I talk about the the uh, Big Bang. This morning, I'm talking about what is actually recorded in our scriptures. What's actually recorded here in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. I want to encourage you to get your Bibles out this morning, open to Acts chapter 2. We're going to spend a lot of time there and other places in Acts. But the Big Bang that I'm talking about is recorded right here in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41 in these words. So then, those who had received his words were baptized that day, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. There it is, the Big Bang. Now, I I know what you might be saying. You may be going, well, that. Those words didn't sound like that was that big of a deal. It, it didn't sound like some, something that just really huge explosion that, that burst on the scene of humanity. But don't let these words, the simplicity of these words, mislead you as to the nature and the reality of what's really going on in this moment. You see, in this moment, There is a spiritual shockwave that is going throughout eternity. There's a spiritual shockwave that's being felt by the angels of heaven and a shockwave that is being felt by the demons of hell. It's at this moment in which the the powers and the kingdom of darkness get a death blow, a deadly blow that they're never, ever going to overcome. And at the same time, as that takes place, what's happening in this moment is you see the rise of the great 
powerful and glorious kingdom of God at the very same moment. This moment that I'm talking about this morning, as I talk about the Big Bang, this moment is the moment of the great genesis of the New Testament church of Christ. It's its beginning, it's its genesis that we're seeing here in verse 41. And it is huge, and it is, it is something that we're going to see in a few moments is amazing and sometimes even unfathomable. It takes place. The epicenter of this new Genesis takes place right where God planned it and right where God wanted it. It takes place in his city. The city of Jerusalem, probably somewhere around 30 or 31 A.D. And I have to tell you that even though the specific moment in which this Big Bang was to take place, even though that was a mystery, this moment was still very, very expected. You see, God, thousands of years before this moment, had spoken to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 22 and had told him about a day that was coming. A day in which all of the nations and all of the families of the earth would be blessed by his seed. And and then Paul in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16, it makes it clear that that seed that he was talking about that was going to bring about this day of great blessing was in fact Jesus Christ. Yes, you see, it was expected. It was expected to happen. And Peter over in chapter 3 of Acts in verse 18 is going to, to, to say how expected it was when he says God announced it. He announced it beforehand through the mouths of all the prophets. You see, this was expected. This great genesis of the New Testament church was something that had been planned and purposed by God from long, long ago. This morning we began a new series. And the series is entitled The Big Bang. The Genesis of the New Testament Church. And what we're going to be doing, the preaching team, what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks is we're going to be going through the book of Acts and we're going to start highlighting some new things that were surrounding this birth of the church. Some new things and some big and important things that were coming out of this birth of the church, of this new Genesis. So every week, you're going to hear us talk about something new. This morning, I'm talking about new power. New power. And the new power that that I'm going to be speaking of is found right here in this chapter of Acts chapter 2. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to be reading excerpts from verses 22 through 38. And there's some important uh, 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 prophecies and statements that are in here, but I, I just want to sort of piece this together and weave it together in a way that communicates really the core of what I'm trying to get us to see this morning. It begins in verse 22 this way, men of Israel, listen to this 
Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to, be kept, to keep its hold on him. Verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Verse 36. Therefore, let all the house be assured that this of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Verse 37 through 38. When the people heard this, they were cut to their heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's right here. It's right here in these words of Peter. And understand this as I say that. That Peter here, in these words, he's not talking as, as a mere man. We already see, if you look back at the beginning verses of Acts chapter 2, we see that the Spirit of God has overcome Peter. He's on Peter, and it's the power and the Spirit of God that is revealing these truths that Peter is speaking. It's the power and the Spirit of God that is revealing for the very first time in human history a new power that has come into the world. These people, they know power. They know the power of a, a storm out on the ocean. They've experienced that. They know the power of an army or a military force that comes in and, and bears down upon, uh, upon people. They know that kind of power. They know the power uh, of a king or a ruler who holds life or death in his own words. They know all kinds of power, but I'm telling you, they've never seen power like this before. The power that has now come into the existence through the words of Peter is, in fact, the power of the gospel. That's the power. For the very first time in human history, according to these truths, the power of the gospel is being unleashed here by Peter. It's the power of the gospel that's in back of the Big Bang. It's the power of the gospel that creates this genesis of the New Testament church, God's people. As Peter tells the story here, go back to verse 22. As Jesus begins to tell the story, I want you to recognize what's taking place. He begins in verse 22, and he begins talking about a man. But by the time we get to verse 36, he's going to be talking about a Lord and Savior. 
Now listen to what he does here. He begins and he says, first of all, as he speaks, you need to understand that it was attested to and accredited by God through his miracles that this man was attested and credited by God through his miracles and wonders and signs to be, and he doesn't say that, but here's why he said that, to be actually who he said he was. He said he was the Son of God. He said he was the Savior of the earth. And God, through his miracles and signs and wonders, proved that to be true. So here he goes. Not only that, but this man he has begun talking about, according to God's predestined, uh, predetermined plan and foreknowledge, was handed over to godless men, not a surprise to God, was handed over to godless men to be nailed and die on the cross. But after that happened, here's what happened. God did something amazing in this man's life. He brought him forth from the grave. He raised him from death back to life again. Even as it was foretold through David. A resurrection that David prophesied about and a a resurrection that they, it says, have themselves been witnesses of. But he's not through there. Now watch where he goes here. He then says, says, and not only has he been resurrected, but God ultimately, what's happened is taken this man and what he has now done is he has enthroned him in heaven at the right hand of God and he has made him to be Lord and Christ. It began as this man, Jesus, who claimed to be the Son of God and the Savior and, and, and God began to prove that this way and ultimately what happened is Jesus was obedient to his Father. After death, he raised him up, not just to life, but seated him on the throne of power in heaven and in glory. And as he says these words, what he's revealing here is he's speaking the very core essential truths of the gospel who Jesus was, what Jesus did, what, G- what God did in his life, and where he is now, ultimately placing him in the position in verse 38 where he can bring about forgiveness of sin. That's the gospel, and that's what the new power that, that, that Peter began to unleash upon these people that were listening to it. But understand this, and this is an important next step, that this power of the gospel, what's so so amazing about it, is it has the power to create a new kind of trust. It has the power to create new faith. Faith in a man, a resurrected, enthroned Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, here's why that's important, and, and here's why that's so new. Bill, we talked about this in, in, in preaching team. So, so what's different here? Well, what you have to understand, as, G, as Peter is preaching this, there's another sermon going on. Well, and, and you're not hearing it, but what's happening is, is as he's preaching here, somewhere around them, probably very close, maybe looming over them, is the temple. And as the temple stands there, it's preaching its own sermon. 
As long as it's there, it's saying these words. Salvation and fellowship with God is possible through complete obedience to the law. Salvation and fellowship with God is only possible by complete obedience to the law. As Peter's preaching over here, the, the, the temple's standing there saying, here's, here's the big sermon. Here's, here's the, the, the old message that's been, been proclaimed. Oh, and by the way, the temple has to come over and say, the thing that you're supposed to do, you won't do it. You're not going to be able to do it. That's why this gospel, that's why it's so powerful is what it comes and does is it comes in at the right moment and it shifts trust. It shifts trust away from ourselves to keep the law perfectly and it shifts it over to putting faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. That's why it's so new, and that's why it's so huge, is that gospel has the power to create that kind of faith and trust that creates this shift in that which can bring them forgiveness. It's because of that that Peter then says what he says. Repent. Now listen, repent. He doesn't say repent and go and try to do better, right? He says repent and let each of you be baptized into the name of Jesus. That's the first time that had ever been said. Be baptized into the name of Jesus and you will receive forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. There it is. This shift from ourselves to being able to put our trust in Jesus Christ for forgiveness and Jesus Christ alone. You see, when we put our faith in Jesus, I want you to understand some things that happen. When we put our faith in Jesus, he alone defeats Satan for us. Isn't that huge? He defeats Satan for us because he rescues us from the dominion of darkness and he transfers us or he puts us over into his kingdom, the kingdom of redemption and the kingdom of forgiveness of sins in his name. First, uh, Colossians 1 and verses 13 through 14. It's Jesus alone who then gives us the greatest peace the peace that we want so desperately, peace between us and God. Paul says, having been justified through faith in Jesus Christ, now comes the gift of peace in your life. You see, it's Christ, and it's Christ alone who makes us his chosen people, God's royal priest, a holy nation, people that God owns, his, his very own people, 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. It's Christ and Christ alone that assures us that even our greatest failures are never going to forever be held against us. For if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, here's the, the truth. He is faithful. He will for, cleanse us of all of our sins. He assures us of that fact that no matter what sins come into your life, 
He will provide the forgiveness for us. And ultimately, He gives us, He alone, when we put our trust in Him, when we put our faith in Him, He alone will empower us and give us the confidence to stand and look into the face of death and say mockingly, (laughs) Richard, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is the law, and the power of of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us what? The victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There it is. You see, it's in that. It's in that trust in Jesus that we gain all of these great spiritual gifts and promises, and it happens in Christ alone. And when you see all of those spiritual blessings that come to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, when you see that, is it any wonder that Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is what? The power of salvation for everyone who believes to the Jew first and then to us who put our faith in Jesus Christ. It's this gospel power that it's easy to see how it sent this shockwave from Jerusalem and started spreading not only through the lands, but started spreading out through space and through time. And it was a shockwave that began to dramatically impact and affect this world. Think about this for a moment. It was the power of the gospel being preached. It was the power of the gospel being preached that that moved people with various backgrounds and various beliefs and various ideologies from various nations. It moved them to believe this message of Jesus Christ and put him on in baptism for the forgiveness of their sins. It's not just the 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, but as you start walking through Acts, you start seeing that it happened over and over and over again. Acts chapter 4, it's not just 3,000 there, but it's 5,000 Jews now who are believing and being baptized. And then you go on in Acts chapter 8, and you're seeing it's Samaritans and even an Ethiopian nobleman who believe and is baptized. And then you see after that that it is uh, the Gentile Cornelius and his whole household who believe and are baptized in Acts chapter 10. And then you see Lydia, a Macedonian, the businesswoman, and her whole household. And then the Philippian jailer with his whole household in Acts chapter 16. And then some Athenians in in Greece that believe and are baptized in Acts chapter 17. These are just the name of few who hear and are swept away by the power of the gospel to believe and put their trust in Jesus and to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. But that's just part of the power of the gospel. 
You see, it begins to show up in the lives of people, not just through salvation, but it's the power of the gospel that compelled Peter and John in Acts chapter 14 and verses 18 and following. It compelled them, even though uh, it compelled them to defy the religious leaders of the day, even though they said, listen, you've got to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. And they said, we cannot do that. We cannot stop speaking what we've seen and heard. Why? We're compelled by the power of the gospel. And it's the power of the gospel that we see that, that made Paul endure so many hardships and even rise from the rocks of his own stoning and get up the next day and preach the gospel again all over the thing that got him stoned. He gets up the next day and he goes to Derby and he preaches it again. Why? Because he's compelled by the power of the gospel to save people and bring them into Christ. It's the power of the gospel that ultimately we see at the end of Acts. Look at Acts chapter 28 in the, in, in the very last verses there. What we see is this amazing scene of Paul who is in under house arrest, Roman house arrest. And, and, and you know of all that's taking place with Paul and all that he's going to, but, but here he is under house arrest and, and, and he's just biding his time, watching the clock to see when he gets out. He's still being compelled by the power of God, it says, to preach the kingdom of God and to teach Jesus Christ the Lord. That's the power of the gospel being displayed throughout all of these times and across different lands. This morning, it, there's, not a, there's, not a big, there's not a big, okay, here's what we need you to do thought, like, like what we usually do, and that's important. But I just want to encourage you this way. I want you to think, and I want you to remember this, that even though that Big Bang, that genesis of the New Testament church, even though it took place over 2,000 years, over 2,000 years ago, and over 7,000 miles away, even though it took place in that way, that power of the gospel has never grown old or weak. It's still as powerful today. You see, for us, that power of the gospel that has led so many of us to put our faith in Jesus Christ... And allow that faith to lead us into the waters of baptism. As we did that, you know what really happened? We had our own little personal big bang. <laughs> we had our own moment of genesis in which we too were added to that New Testament church. And, and, and let me tell you something else that's encouraging. Let me tell you that the gospel in, in its power is not too old and it's not too weak today because just in this week, two people have been redeemed and added to Christ's church. Let me introduce you to him. Where's, where's Isabel Hester? Isabel, where are you? You here today? 
Right here, you stand up and also Matthew Wildy. Where are you, Matthew? Matthew, these two experienced the power of the gospel this week. Praise God. Praise God for that. The power of the gospel is real. And let me end this way. If you haven't experienced your genesis, your spiritual big bang, the power of the gospel is telling you to believe this morning and you to put your faith in Jesus and for you to let him raise you up out of the waters of baptism in your new genesis of life. Not just life on this earth, but life eternal through faith in Jesus Christ. Would you do that this morning while we stand and while we sit?